Ranking Beatles songs. Watch out, boy. He'll rank those songs. Ranking Beatles songs. Take it. He's a song ranker. Yes. Nailed it. <laughs> nailed it. The next Hall and Oates coming at you today. Oh. We're, we're not. No. The next Hall and Oates. Sorry. I mean, maybe you. Definitely not me. You did great. I'm proud Thank of you. you. What's going on, everybody? It's your boy, Jonathan, and... Julia. Not your boy, but <laughs> uh, welcome to episode 17 of Ranking the Beatles. Hope everyone is doing smashingly today. How are you today, my dear? Smashing, I hope. Um, Smashing some patriarchy. Hey-o! Oh, yes. I love it. No context, but who needs it? Why not? It's fine. Everything's fine. It needs to be done anyway. Everything is not fine. Anyway, hope you guys have had a good week. Uh, welcome back to the show. We're glad to have you. Um, if this is your first time joining us, what we do here is we have uh, ranked all 223 songs recorded and released by the Fab Four and uh, put them into what I believe, in my nobody opinion, uh, is a, a a thorough ranking from top to bottom. And we're discussing it here on our little podcast with some friends, musicians, songwriters, etc., etc. So uh, that's pretty much the gist of it right there yeah you couldn't tell it. by the title now you know uh so let's uh let me tell you a little bit about our guest today i'm very excited about this me too our first lady our guest. first lady guest and very pumped not it's a moment too time. soon i've enjoyed every guest it's getting a little broy for my liking <laughs> it needs the handling of, of a woman i think i think it's time <laughs> for a woman to step in don't you so I mean, I've been here the whole time. Thanks. <laughs> Valid. I mean, from the guest perspective. I know. No, I'm just teasing. From the guest perspective. I know what you mean. Yeah. It's, and it's nice to have it's nice to have you outnumbered for once. It's true. It's true. We're going to wreck you. <laughs> <laughs> you should. Today's guest, and it's a powerhouse of a guest, too. I'm excited about Absolutely. this. Absolutely. She's our, amazing. Yes. She's, our, one, our guest today is one of... Uh, our guest today is one of the premier jazz vocalists in New Orleans today. She's the daughter of not one, but two opera singers. And she's been singing since she was two years old. That is impressive. Uh, at two years old, I was still just wetting myself. She was raised in New Jersey, moved to New Orleans in 1997, where she immediately ma- made a name for... Ugh. She was raised in New Jersey and moved to New Orleans in 1997, where she immediately made a name for herself. Uh, now, never one to restrict herself to one style. In addition to traditional jazz, she's recorded with all kinds of artists like Soul Asylum, The Misfits, Harry Shearer, who you may know from The Simpsons, Spinal Tap, uh, a whole slew of things, and our previous guest, Paul Sanchez. Uh, in 2014, uh, along with her husband, she released the Christmas album, Oh Crap, It's Christmas, which has also turned into a wonderful annual all-star Christmas concert every holiday season here in New Orleans. It's so fun. Super fun. I love it. Uh, Her most recent release is called Other Than Everything, Everything's Great, which is... Perfect. Apropos. Yes, perfect. uh, Which she recorded with her longtime musical partner, pianist Josh Paxton. Ladies and gentlemen, it is our pleasure to welcome to the show today, Miss Debbie Davis. Debbie, how are you? Good to see you. Hey guys, I'm great. I'm so glad to do this with you. I know it's so, so good to, to see you. you. I feel like it's been forever. 
it only because it has been yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. six months or 10 years, depending on your definition of linear time, which, by the way, I'm not a big fan of linear time right now. So right. <laughs> uh, it's got, time has no meaning anymore. It has no meaning. I don't no. have none yeah. at all. 90% of the time, I have no idea what day it is. No, it could be <laughs> April still for all I know. The weather's still the same. So the hell? Yeah, it's just ridiculous. Linear time can get bent. Yeah. I think it'd be fun to start like tracking COVID time with like, demarcations of like Beatles career moments like oh in the time that we've been in lockdown uh, they've recorded A Hard Day's Night released the film like just like knock out all right, these things right, right. be like and what have you done oh well I planted some stuff in my backyard and I grew a and beard then watched and then <laughs> and watched it die watched it because time. I was too depressed to pay attention to it yeah <laughs> times everybody I ate an ungodly amount of smart food popcorn yes <laughs> Uh -huh. That's what I've done with quarantine. <laughs> valid. Yeah. Well, yeah. salad. So, you don't make friends with salad people. <laughs> That's, yeah, it's I, true. I do like salad though. I'm not gonna lie. It's okay. kind of nice in summer. In the it's, summertime, because we live on the surface of the sun, a nice like yeah. summery salad is a winner. <laughs> and then follow it up with an ungodly amount of smart food popcorn. <laughs> That's yeah, my girl. That's my girl. Um, so one of the things I want to start off with, I mentioned it in our intro, is you have been singing since you were two years old, correct? That's correct. That is bonkers. At two years old, I was pretty much just soiling myself and crying. Yeah, it was it was the 70s. I mean, it was crazy. And both my parents are singers, so I was going to sing anyway. They just figured they'd put me in front of people and let me do it for money. Yeah. <laughs> Smart. Yeah. <laughs> nice. I mean, I that's that's how theater people are. We're like carnies. If the kid knows <laughs> how to do something, you make them do it for pay. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So at, they're right. So starting that early, at, at what point do the Beatles enter the picture for you? I mean, the Beatles are so ubiquitous. You can't turn on the radio even now and not hear them. But in the seventies, they'd only been broken up for you know, eight years, maybe they mm -hmm. broke up in 1970. So it was, they were still very present in terms of the American collective subconscious. But I think I really understood what the Beatles phenomenon was about because of one of my friend's mothers was a huge Beatles fan and used to talk about how she sat in front of the television when Ed, when they showed up on Ed Sullivan. She sat in like with her nose pressed against the TV and wept for three minutes. Great. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Just, just cried like yeah. a child with a skinned knee could not control it. Emotionally overturned. And I didn't, I didn't really understand it. I thought it was kind of adorable and weird, but I didn't <laughs> really understand it. So I started asking my mom about it. My mom who had been an opera singer and, um, I was kind of on a different track musically. She was aware of the impact that the Beatles had, but she had kind of cloistered herself into classical music around the time they were really hitting hard. Mm -hmm. When they were on Ed Sullivan, she was in New York studying opera, studying opera in 62. So it was, she kind of missed that boat. Um, but I had friends who my freshman year of high school, somebody put a mixtape together for me that had songs from Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band on it. And that was what set the hook in my cheek. Mm -hmm. um, and suddenly I got that record. And then when CDs players first came 
to popularity, the first CD I ever owned was Beatles Revolver. Mm-hmm. And I'd never listened to that record before. So that kind of just pushed me through the rabbit hole at that point. I was familiar with their early rock and roll stuff with I Want to Hold Your Hand, with, you know, the stuff that you can't really avoid mm-hmm. of the But I kind of began my deep understanding of them from close, much closer to the end when they had already started in with the George Martin stuff and um, the more ex- experimental stuff. And then I kind of traced it backwards from there and a little bit forward to the end. Mm-hmm. But um, I mean, hearing their stuff on the radio along with the Beach Boys, that's where I learned a lot of the harmony understanding that I have. Yeah, yeah. And I, I that's so I, I kind of come from that same boat of like, you know, I, I never really had any real vocal training as a singer, but listening to Beach Boys stuff and Beatles thing, that was like my touch point for every whatever I do know about singing in harmony. And I'm not necessarily sure how, like what things are called or what the actual like terminologies are on things sometimes. Right. But I know, oh, well, Paul would do this or George would stay here. Like I can, I can always kind of like source it back to those things, you know? Right. I wound up learning music theory terminology in some cases based on things that the Beatles did like that. The yeah. At the end of she loves you. That's a six. A sixth. Yeah. 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 I just realized what that was like a few months ago. (laughs) I was like, Oh, that's what a sixth is. Okay. Uh (laughs) And that's why everybody, everybody likes you when you sing the six, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you watch people go, Oh, you got it. Oh, look at that. <laughs> nice. Yeah, they, they love it. They yeah. eat that shit up. So mm-hmm. it's a nice little trick. If you're losing the crowd, sing a six. You'll bring them right back. <laughs> nice. Um, so so Sergeant Pepper is kind of the entry point for you. And how old are you when you first when you first get a hold of that? 13. Okay. Nice. We're on like the same age trajectory, I think. I think nice. I got Sergeant Pepper on a cassette um, about 13, maybe somewhere up in there. Yeah. Somebody taped it for me. Yeah, that's that. That was how I got that, and I played it until it broke, like literally until it broke, and then I put it back to piece together with a piece of scotch tape, nice. and then I broke it. Again. <laughs> nice. Yeah, nice. pencil and scotch tape, nothing you can't fix. Right. <laughs> so, as as a singer, you know, how do you find the Beatles have impacted the way that you approach your music, your career, what you do? I take a lot of my cues from Paul, whether I'm thinking about it or not. Um, He was always so, he was always so true to the lyric, I think, Mm -hmm. that he really made sure that he serviced the words first. Um, And I think that's why so many of his songs have aged so well, because he really did think about the content of the words and making every one of them count. Mm -hmm. Um, I appreciate what Lennon did as a writer, but I think he... I think his stuff was a little padded in terms of content or it was a little tangential. Like he was on this little vision quest and you were along for the ride, but you might not get where he was going exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, speaking in tongues and across the universe. Right. <laughs> like I'm with you, man. I don't understand. I don't get it, but, I'm, say, I'm but I am with you. Yeah. 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 Uh, but Paul is so true to the words and he serves the emotion of the song. So purely, mm-hmm. um, I try to think I try to think in terms of that when I'm figuring out a phrase or trying to decide where the meat of the song is, where the where the real emotional 
punch is. I think he always gets that every time. Yeah. Um, and it's a, it's a great gift to be able to understand the words on such a level and then deliver it as a singer without being maudlin and without being, um, not being overly dramatic. He still somehow figures out how to tell you what the sad part is just by singing it the way it needs to be couched to make mm-hmm. sure you understand it. It's, um, he's like a great actor that way. I think now that, that, that brings up an interesting point. Um, we did an episode with Paul Sanchez, um, yeah. which has already come, already come out. And not McCartney. Not McCartney. <laughs> not McCartney. <laughs> he has not returned not our calls yet. <laughs> um, but so I, we discussed the long and winding road, which I had ranked at like, I forget some, some horrible number of like two something. I don't know. Not my. And I'm sure Sanchez was aghast. He was. He he did. He didn't quite agree with me. Um, yeah. So do you think you know? Because I think part of the reason why I put that song so low is it's just so because sad. You're wrong. It's because you're wrong. <laughs> because I'm wrong. Um, <laughs> well then. Uh, I'm with you, Julia. <laughs> with you all the way. It's just the song is just so sad to me. And I've been trying to think about it in hindsight. Like, is it a combination or is it a, is it a single thing? Is it, you know, the super syrupy Phil Spector production? Is it Paul's delivery? Is it the song itself? Is it the association with let it be as a project and watching the band fall apart on film and seeing just how sad puppy dog eyes Paul looks on that in that film where he just looks like he's going to cry the whole time. He sounds like he's going to cry. And, uh, it, it, or, or is it in the vocal? Like yeah. He's going to cry. yeah. 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 Do you think a song like that is, does it, does it benefit if it's not included visually in that perspective? Like, does he still, does that emotion still come across oh, as well yeah. without yeah. that? Yeah. Absolutely. In fact, the first time I watched Let It Be, I had already gotten myself acquainted with the record enough to kind of understand what I was in for. And I, you know, chronologically, I knew what the situation was, but I listened to the long and winding road. I went, I think he's crying. Mm-hmm. Like I, it actually sounds to me like he's crying on the bridge. He, he goes, his pitch falters a little bit in the second half of the bridge and his pitch never falters. He's yeah. always right in the middle of the note. He's always this big, bright, beautiful, warm, delicious sound. And he sounds like a man who's breaking. A little choked, yeah. I, I thought he was crying. That's mm-hmm. that's what I try to avoid. When I feel like I'm going to cry while I'm singing, I try to avoid feeling my throat close up. Like, mm-hmm. that's the telltale for me, and I can hear it in him. So when I watched Let It Be, and I heard they started Long and Morning Road, I was like, I don't know if I can watch this. I don't know if I can watch Paul McCartney cry. So, and he didn't actually cry, but God damn it, he sure sounded like he did. It actually yeah. sounds sadder than apparently it was. Or maybe there's another track where he breaks down in tears and throws an ashtray at John. I don't know. <laughs> maybe that'll be in the uh, the Peter Jackson remake that of the film. That would be awesome. Like, Billy Preston has to break up a fist fight between the two of them. That'd be great. I love it. And oh. I think it does come through because I've actually never seen this video that you talk about where he makes, like, the sad puppy dog face. Like, mm-hmm. I, I've never seen it. So, But I think it still comes through just by itself in the song. Like, you yeah. can totally, like you can 100% like read exactly what he's saying in that song. You're right. And, 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 and he does do that. He is able to do that in other things like, um, for no one, I think is a great example of that. <sighs> like that is just such a heartbreaking, heartbreaking mm-hmm. song. And it, and it doesn't resolve cause it mm-hmm. doesn't resolve. Cause it's life and life does not resolve. No, like, she's gone. 
and you won't forget her, you freaking sucker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it doesn't resolve. Yeah, hear that five chord? Sit there for a while. <laughs> <laughs> Sit there and think about what you've done. Um, yeah, totally. <laughs> so having grown up with, you know, with both feet in the jazz world, but also operating in pop and rock and, you know, R&B and blues and all other kinds of genres, how do you see the Beatles and jazz intersect? I, I mean, the same way I see Cole Porter and jazz intersecting. Cole Porter didn't consider himself a jazz writer. He considered himself a composer. And he actually got kind of pissed off when jazz people would do his songs because they weren't doing them the way he wrote them. Mm-hmm. And that kind of that chapped him. Um, but I think Irving Berlin is a great writer in the way that McCartney is. I think that Lou Reed is a great writer in the way George Gershwin is. Like those those writers share the ability to write effective songs with simple, perfect melodies that popular music can embrace. And a good pop song is a good pop song now, is a good pop song 40 years ago, is a good pop song in 1925, is a good pop song 30 years from now. They're all part of the, I really think they're all part of the great American songbook isn't quite accurate, but they all line up in terms of those compositional classic songs that have worked their way into the collective subconscious in a way that 30 years from now we'll still be hearing them even if it's in a different context mm-hmm. you know it's a, it's a good song is a good song yeah so i i drop the beatles stuff into my sets regularly because i think they i think they transcend their original recordings and that the songs have legs on their own, regardless of who does them. That's not always the case. You know what I mean? Some songs that, you know, the velvet underground, as much as I love them, nobody else could pull off Venus and furs and make it fly like that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, after a certain point, although I I did, we'll we'll talk about it later, but I did, (laughs) I was thinking about the velvet underground during part of this process. And um, yeah, I mean, a good song is a good song. Yeah. So, I think that um, I think that if that theory is true, then it can stand up in any application. You could do it as a jazz song. You could do it as a country song. I mean, I'm sh- I know the stuff has been sampled forever and ever. I think that's a testimony to mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Well, let's take a quick break, and then we're going to come back. We're going to rank some songs. Cool. Cool. Awesome. And we're back. <laughs> that's how we do that. All right. <laughs> so we are here to do a very important thing today. Are you ready for it? I can't wait. We're going to rank some songs. Are you ready for it, Julia? Yeah, sure. Let's do it. (laughs) Debbie, if you don't mind, would you please give me a drum roll? (laughs) (laughs) Listeners, you can't see this. We're on video. (laughs) I mean, they're not technically drums, but they were right here. (laughs) Debbie has performed a drum roll on her ample bosom. It was amazing. <laughs> I mean, I had to improvise. If I could have you know, you know, arms reached. I'm so glad that this is the first episode where we have a, a female guest. I feel like we've... <laughs> we're smashing that patriarchy, man. We're breaking through that glass ceiling. We're using boobs for percussion instruments. Take that, fellas. What are you going to use next time? <laughs> Don't answer that right away. <laughs> Coming in at number 204 is The Word. (laughs) The Word. Say the word and you'll be free. Say the word and be like me. 
All right, the word from Rubber Soul. Let me give you guys a little bit of back history for any listeners who may not know this particular song. Uh, written in late fall of 1965, the word was written by John and Paul, with John taking most of the credit for it, as he was wont to do. Uh, uh, it was recorded in one evening, November 10th, 1965, just the day before my birthday. Also, a couple quite of a years. few years prior, <laughs> also though. Also, a couple of years. Uh, re- recorded November 10th, 1965, in one late night session, uh, which is becoming more of a regular thing for the band at this point. Working late instead of going in for like. 10 o'clock working till 5 they were now going in at like 4 p.m. and leaving at 4 a.m. because they're fueled by amphetamines and marijuana and ego and they can do whatever they want to at this point that's right Which, they don't have day jobs no they're not suckers no. <laughs> indeed living the dream uh, so this song is really kind of an important one it, it marks the first time we hear the band talk about love as a universal thing as opposed to a interpersonal relationship um, right. And this really predates the Summer of Love hippie movement by about a year and a half, uh, which, you know, in 1967, you start to see a lot of those songs, um, you know, where love is the central theme is like is more of a universal thing. Obviously, right. all you need is love being a, a massive one by the Beatles. And that was only two years later. And that, yeah. It's only, and, and, a year and a half. Actually, a year and a half. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. So you've hit the point, you know, also where the band are really heavy, heavy pot smokers. Um, John and George, and to a lesser extent, Ringo, have all taken LSD a handful of times, and they're kind of really starting to embrace the open-mindedness that they're finding through weed and acid, um, mm. which is kind of where John's coming from with this kind of newly eye-open perspective of love is the ultimate trip, man. Um, and this is kind of the first time they, uh, the first dip of the toe into that, into that kind of ballpark musically, uh, embracing the idea of love and peace and, and universal oneness. Uh, which obviously goes on to be, you know, such a crucial building block of how we see the Beatles. And Ringo's catchphrase. And Ringo's catchphrase comes in. <laughs> Peace and love. Peace and love. Peace and love, love. So the word. Why do I have the word at number 204? I, I don't to, know. I had to scroll back and check. <laughs> so. Honestly, I have to say I really dig this song. As, so let me start with the, with the disclaimer. I, I seem to have to drop every episode. I don't dislike the song at all. I really actually, I like the song. There's not one that I dislike. This song to me is kind of a great auditory encapsulation of the rubber soul cover where like, you know, at least half of the guys in that photo have weed in their pocket and they're more than likely (laughs) high as kites and totally down to smoke with you because everything is really cool. Um, are, Are you one of those people that can kind of like associate sounds and colors? I'm not. I'm not one of those people who says, oh, yeah, that note is orange. I know there are some people who are like that. Yeah. Like there's actually a mental thing. There's like a diagnosed condition that allows you to close your eyes and see colors when you hear a sound. I don't have one of those. Like this is like to me, this is like I immediately think of like the brown on John's suede jacket and the huh. leafy green behind them uh, on that cover. Um it's kind of like darker earth tones, earthy, earthy yeah. smoky, um, organic. And that's kind of just like the feeling I get on this song for some reason, which is why yeah. I'm like, these guys are just high as kites. <laughs> but well, I, I certainly hope so. If the Beatles weren't high in 1966, then who right, was? Right? <laughs> Ain't nobody. <laughs> no. Um, so yeah, yeah, you know, I, there, there's a lot of things I really love about this song. I love the piano intro on it. 
Um, right. Uh, George Martin does some piano stuff still at this point. Um, but I think on this track, he's just doing the harmonium at the end. Okay. Yeah. Is it a harmonium? I thought it was a farfisa. I couldn't tell, Ooh, though. Ooh, I don't know. Oh, oh, oh. School it, him, Debbie. School it him. sounds kind break of farfisi. I could be wrong, the farfisi. Farfisi. I think that's what a farfisa leaves. Is that the, like, beep, 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 that kind of yeah. thing yeah. at the end? Me. That does not sound like a harmonium to me. I read a harmonium. Mm. Okay. Well, you know who can tell you? Paxton could tell you. Just just on sound he's, alone, he'll know? Yes. Okay. Yes. He's a keyboard nerd savant. Okay. Good to yeah. know. Okay. So if that's actually a real question, he's the guy to throw it to. He'll know. Beautiful. Okay. Um, one thing I don't quite love about the song is John's guitar track on it. Just kind of that stabbing. Jonk, 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 it reminds jonk. me a little bit of Paxman. A little bit. Um, for some reason, like that particular, that rhythm of things just kind of grates on me after a while. Yeah. You know, yeah. maybe it's, maybe the tone, maybe I find the tone a little bit shrill, but for some yeah. reason, like I just, I've, I've never I loved that. I love the riff that George comes in with in the middle, that don 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 da don don Like that's great. Um, you know, Paul's bass part is phenomenal. He is all over yes. the place. He's bouncing around. Funky it's and cool. soulful yeah. as hell. He's really getting into like Motown, James that's, Jamerson type stuff here. That's what I wanted to say about this track. It really reminds me of the stuff that was coming out of Motown and to a lesser extent stuff that was coming out of New Orleans too. Yeah. Around that same time. It's like that the, the piano intro is kind of boogie woogie-ish almost. Yeah, like it you almost, can kind of hear a little bit of like Booker or Fess in it, maybe. Posters element to mm -hmm. it, especially when they come in with three parts for the chorus. They yeah. start with the chorus, which it, they don't always do, mm -hmm. and the chorus changes a little bit every time. It reminds me a lot of what they were doing with like Martha and the Vandellas, um, the uh, the I guess it was I guess it would have been the Temptations very early mm -hmm. but like leaning in hard with the three parts to start with and then the verses are only a small piece of information sung by one person and then it's three voices back to again. the chorus yeah and the chorus changes a little bit every time to advance the idea the chorus is advancing the ideas mm -hmm. in the song not the verses which is unusual yeah. usually the chorus is static and the verses tell you the story mm -hmm. in this case it's not true yeah. uh, i think the verses are much more and here's a little thing you didn't know about love, because I like love and I didn't, but now I do. And now I'm going to tell you something about love that's actually the story about the thing that we're right. here to talk to you about. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, yeah. the verses are kind of nonsense. Yeah. Well, it's 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 just kind of like pontificating, you know, like. Yeah. You know, I didn't think love was good. And now yeah. I think love is good. So yeah, he's like, look what I learned. Like, yeah. yeah. I'm here to I show you book. all. Yeah. Um, and that had love in it. I read a good book, and that had love. I read a bad. book. I read a bad that book. Had too. <laughs> <laughs> That's like such a weird line, too. And the good and the bad books that I have read, I was like, it took me forever what? to figure out what he was saying there. Yeah, because it like, doesn't make any sense. The what books? But, the, the bed. The bed bugs. The good, what? <laughs> the good and the bed bugs. <laughs> the good and the bed bugs. I have read. I'm not familiar. Is that Tolstoy? I don't know. The good and the bed bugs. <laughs> I think. You know, one of the things that Julia kind of has brought this metaphor up before um, when we talked about uh, Love You Too off Revolver. Yeah. Um, and this is so with, with Love You Too, it was the first time George was really like totally steeping himself in Indian music. 
And it was very right. much like, everybody look at this thing. Holy shit, how cool is this? Right. And I brought the sitar home. It weighs 600 pounds. <laughs> You're going to listen to me. It takes an hour to tune. <laughs> <laughs> it takes longer to tune than my 12 string. <laughs> <laughs> But um, th- lyrically, this is kind of the same thing that John's doing, I think, with the word, mm-hmm. where like he's been opened up to the possibilities of love and the universal eye. And he's like, holy shit, look at this amazing thing. And he goes on to do that a lot throughout his career with right. m- much better returns. And I feel like, you know, th- well, he was on much better drugs, much this better time drugs. <laughs> This, you know, it's kind of like he said. It's kind of like if you have never made a cookie before, and you're like, "I'm gonna make the best cookie of all time," and you just make like an average cookie because you haven't baked yeah. a whole bunch. But it, but it's yours. It's your right. cookie. Like that's a badass cookie for a right. person who never made one before. Holy crap! And since this record does contain "Run for Your Life" on it, <laughs> that's a really big jump from, you know, John threatening to kill a woman. Run for your life if you can, little girl. Mm-hmm. Hide your head in the sand, little girl. If I catch you with another man, that's the end, little girl. Holy fucking Jesus, really? <laughs> yeah, he did. Oh, okay. So maybe the word is a good step forward for it, this yeah. guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, like, maybe he just hasn't totally, like, they're just sort of, like, like you said, like, just sort of putting their toes into the the sort of water of, you know, expanded minds and all that. And they haven't really, right. like, fleshed out how they feel about it and how they want to put that into their own words quite yet. So this is, he's just like, mm, this is what I got for now. It's a little rough. It's fine. Right. But, like, yeah. but it's peppy. He'll get there, yeah. It's peppy. Fucking enjoy it. Yeah. With the no, Beatles. Listen I, to totally. it. Buy it's, it. <laughs> it's an enthusiastic pop song about love that is not jaded or colored by some heartbreak. Yeah. which was kind of rare for John. John yeah. was always love with provisions or love with a caveat or love with a regret. But this is just love is larger than this girl I broke up with or this other girl I think I like. It's this larger thing. And if we all embrace it, it'll be better for everybody. Like yeah. that was, and it wasn't a revolutionary idea, but it was for him. Again, run for your life. Not exactly so much on the universal love thing. It was yeah. for him, and it, and it, it's it, and it's revolutionary for I think a pop star with that platform to start. Right. I hate to say pontificating again, but to start preaching the virtues of love and oneness and peace. Well, and in the end, that would become the co- cornerstone of John Lennon's identity, yeah. even though that wasn't necessarily the cornerstone of his life. If you, you know, his abusive relationships are debated hotly back and forth, and sure. I certainly don't want to get into that. But he does not have a history of being a 100% invested person in the joy and communion of being clear and honest and loving with everyone. Sure. But he did campaign the idea that the world would be better with love in it, which is a hell of a lot more than a lot of people are able to do. So in in the end, that's how he's remembered. So it's nice that he's able to put himself out on this record that obviously is a departure from the early Beatles work. And I think it's the last we really hear of that, of Mm -hmm. the stuff that this sonically is kind of bridging the gap between I want to hold your hand and the next step where George Martin really got involved. Like this is kind of the bridge across that because once you get to, um, once you get to revolver, I mean, you hear the sitar for the first time on rubber soul on, um, Norwegian uh, woods, 
Norwegian wood. That's right. Which is very folky. Mm -hmm. Like they've never done anything really folky either. So it's, you know, and everybody compares the Beach Boys and the Beatles and what they were doing back and forth. But I hear a lot of Donovan Mm -hmm. on this record. And I hear a lot of um, the Turtles. I hear a lot of other influences. And the soul stuff. Yeah, a lot of Dylan. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the soul stuff out of um, Detroit Mm -hmm. and out of uh, Muscle Shoals. I hear a lot of that. And obviously they were steeped in those early rock and roll records. So that's no surprise. Yeah. But this is kind of the last gasp at that those early influences and they're taking in all these other very current influences Mm -hmm. you hear that reflected in this and then again in uh revolver much much more close much more uh much more deeply Mm -hmm. but this is the last time they actually sound like the old beatles yeah i think that's spot on though and without regret it doesn't sound hackneyed it doesn't sound you know it doesn't sound like they're just cranking out another eight days a week or whatever yeah, it's not product and it it the right. uh, it, it's the obvious line of growth of watching influences grow and mature and watching them grow and mature and everything is just mm-hmm. becoming more refined as it yeah. as it changes which is really you know right. really cool to watch i'm getting better you know not just changing but like actually improving they are improving on their instruments they're mm-hmm. improving with their writing and they're you like as we were saying with john evolving out of this dark melancholy love thing into this love as a positive change life-changing force in the universe you're hearing them evolve as people and that's mm-hmm. a very brave move for a band that could have just capitalized on being mop tops forever mm-hmm. right yeah now, there was still plenty of mop top happening in 66. You like, can you imagine them. if Mike Love had been in the Beach Boys? <laughs> Didn't want to fuck with the formula? <laughs> oh, my God. Are you kidding me? John Le- John Lennon would have killed Mike Love. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, now, if he'd written Run for Your Life about Mike Love, dead. that'd have been yeah. a jam. <laughs> All you need is love, except Mike Love. Come on, you fucking I love it. Yeah. I love it. Don't- no um, love lost on Mike Love no, here. Uh, none, no. None. If there was a question. Yeah. Oh. We're not inviting him on the show. He's not invited on the well. show. <laughs> uh, the creepy hands of Chaz <laughs> Fest. Like it's it's like seared into my brain. Oh, no. That hand point. Oh. Uh he and he had like rings That's... on every finger. So many rings. And like so much he would gold. just like find young women in the crowd and just sort of like creepy old man hands sort of Ew, like hard. what point oh, and yeah. wave at the oh it was the grossest thing i've ever seen i hate i was just like why is he doing this i need a shower new podcast <laughs> oh idea God. the worst yeah. of mike love <laughs> is there a best of mike love no i wouldn't think it's the so. same thing isn't it he, he, he'll love to remind you that he uh he wrote 50 percent of uh good vibrations though okay. yeah okay he wrote he wrote the words you wouldn't be singing it without those words. Okay. <laughs> okay, Michael. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a sun-kissed commercial. What else you got? <laughs> oh, Kokomo? Uh, awesome. uh, Stamos. <laughs> Damn you, John Stamos. Stamos. <laughs> so, would I be correct in thinking that you would not have this song at number 204? You know, I actually thought about that because I saw how low on the list it was for you. And honestly, it made me realize that I've got no business criticizing your order on these things because I wouldn't even attempt a task this arduous. (laughs) I would want to put 
I would want to put 240 songs all in the top 10. If you are <laughs> making a Beatles mixtape, you have a 90 minute cassette tape. And it's really like an old, like Maxell yeah. 90. Is this yeah, going no, on there? Is this going on there? Huh? You know, it might. And it okay. might only because not only did we do it in that Beatles show mm-hmm. that you and I were in, mm-hmm. That was awesome and fun. And that was where I really was introduced to this song and realized that it had much more juice to it than I had ever given credit for. And it was because I had to learn the background vocal parts on it. Yeah. Like having to take it apart and put it back together really made me understand it Mm -hmm. and uh, gave me a much deeper appreciation for it because I saw that there was a lot of work in it, frankly. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. It was, there's, shit going on here and the words are different every time you have to pay attention yeah um it might make it onto a 90 minute it might make it onto a 90 minute beatles tape for me i don't know that would be an interesting exercise yeah. i think I, and if only i had a bunch of freaking time on my hands <laughs> do you have a huh. tape deck <laughs> you should i mean i can only neglect my garden so many hours a day before i have to find something else to do you should make us a 90 minute playlist and we'll put it out to go with the show yes Woo-hoo! I can, would totally do can that. you make me a playlist? Because I've, I've been trying yes. to do that, and I want to start having all of our guests do a Look playlist that. that I can feature every oh week. Oh my god, I would love that! Perfect, oh. sweet. And you got time because this doesn't air for a few weeks, so I, I, take your time. That's the thing. I'll probably do it tonight. Oh, perfect, <laughs> beautiful. I, just, I need a project. I need a distraction <laughs> from the widening existential gyre that we're all. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Any, anything to stave off that emotional crisis, I'm all about. So, yeah, Perfect. the Beatles. I should probably have used them for now anyway. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Bring that up with my shrink. Yeah. So, uh... so they so they end up on the on the on the mixtape. Okay, I'll well, take we'll that. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. She we'll said see. maybe. Oh, and I need to point out that the song does not end in a studio fade, and it does not resolve. Explain what you mean when it goes to the end of the song it sounds like that that farfisa solo comes in mm-hmm. and you think that's going to be it but then they come back for another chorus and when it gets to the end they say the word love say the word love say the word love Oh, no, that's how we ended it for the show. That's how we ended it. <laughs> I'm like, where does it go? <laughs> I'm so confused. No, it actually... It, it, goes, it, it does, does, it does it, the... Uh, it out on the freaking part. Yeah, it goes back to that again. Yeah. yeah. God damn it. Had they, they played it live, they'd have probably ended it there somewhere like we did. They didn't have to play anything live. So yeah. they never have to end any of their songs. It's always weird to think, for me to think that like... <laughs> with so much of the Beatles catalog, when you listen to a track... And not not every take, but so many so, so many takes you listen to, like it's the last time they played that or the last time that they sang that. Right. And then they never sang it again. Like the last time, you know, you could say the last time John Lennon did a, a take on Tomorrow Never Knows was the last time he ever <laughs> did that. Right. What? <laughs> like, the one they used is the last one he did. I like mean, for such best- an important song, they never did a, a, half of that stuff live. But you know what the fact the fact of the matter is, you and I have probably sung the Beatles songs a lot more than the Beatles have. <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. Like in terms of the stuff on the record that McCartney doesn't drag out in his live show, mm-hmm. we've probably sung the word 
more than they had. Yeah, <laughs> valid. Try that on. We at least rehearsed it like for two days. <laughs> so. That's right. And our ending was better. That, it's worth mentioning. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Not resolving that ending. That's how it should have ended. I think my brain just was so proud of us for doing that that I was like, no, that's what the Beatles did. Like, they would have done that. They would have. If they were as smart we're as us. We're on the level. <laughs> well, let's do one more. We're going to do... Okay. Number 203, may I get a drum roll, Julia? On your breast or on your knees, whatever you feel <laughs> acceptable at I mean, this point. I feel like I should just do a, a boob drum. See? <laughs> now, I'm setting a new precedent, and I don't know if I'm advancing. I'm going to make the male guest do it, too, though. That's the thing. <laughs> I hope Ruth Bader Ginsburg will forgive me for this. At number 203 is Flying. Woo! Right, September eighth, nineteen sixty-seven. The ladder. September eighth. That was yesterday. Oh, <laughs> weird. Plenty of time, you freaking bastard. Weird. <laughs> now I'm freaked out. <laughs> uh, <Woo! laughs> September eighth of nineteen sixty-seven. The lads are in the studio working on tracks for the Magical Mystery Tour. They need some incidental music. And this is what they come up with uh, through some jamming and direction from Paul, who had an idea for a melody, which became the main melody for the song. It was originally called the Aerial Tour Instrumental. Uh, Just kind of a placeholder title for where they thought they were going to use it in the film. Um, While its release is only two minutes and 16 seconds, at various uh, points in the process of recording the track, the track was as long as nine or 11 minutes long. Yeah, I heard that. And uh, there's an eight-minute version easily found on the YouTubes. Mm -hmm. Um, The extended part of it that goes past the 2.16 um, is really just kind of a dreamy soundscape, a blissed-out haze that's more a happy trip precursor to the hard-drug tape-loop paranoia of Revolution 9 that would come just a year later.
and this is also, I think, the first track where the band, uh, this is the first track the band releases with all four Beatles credited as writers. So, why do I have this song at number 203? Why do I have this song after the long and winding road? <laughs> or I guess higher than the long and winding road. Please do tell. So, yeah. I'm not going to lie. I enjoy the hell out of this track. I do too. I think it's a jam. First of all, I think it's perfectly done for what it is, which is just a transitional kind of chill little piece of music. Um, in my notes, I have chill Muzak, not using Muzak in the derogatory sense here, but it's not like, it's not a full-fledged, like, song. There's no lyric to right. it. Um, it's just music for music's sake. Um, I think Ringo's playing on this song is absolutely a groove. Like, he's behind the beat. He's kind of funky. Um, I almost feel like the track could be an obvious hip-hop sample. Uh, maybe for I'm more like more like a Beastie Boys, like Paul's Boutique era type sample. Yeah. Like, it's just a groove, man. Um, I think George's guitar work on this is phenomenal. It's super clean and jazzy. Yeah, his tone is so it's, sweet. And he I, I, I can't recall another track where he plays and sounds like he does on that record. Mm -hmm. um, it's really interesting and different that on this one little thing, he sounds like that. Um, and I think, you know, it's, it, it's a testament to the skill of the Beatles and the talent of the Beatles that they can take such an insanely catchy melody and put it on a track that no one really gave a shit about that had no right. real intention other than just to be two minutes in their goofy little drug film. Um, and, and it's catchy as all get out because they go la, 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 la in a really in great unison. way. Yes. In Which, unison. I mean, when was is there another time when the Beatles all three sing in unison? Oh, in unison? <laughs> There's got to be something that's just not popping into my head, but I, not and like but for maybe the whole not. thing. Like well, even Ringo's no on it too. Anything? All is, four of them are singing on it. Really? Yeah, I think it, with the exception of maybe something on some of like the fan club Christmas records, I can't think of anything. <laughs> I mean, like on a studio carry that album. Weight. Carry that weight. That's all a unison vocal, and that's all. You're of right. Although You're John right. may not be on there, I'm not positive. Um, Is there any harmony on the rest of that track, though? No. Huh. Nope. You're right. Okay, so that's that's two. Yeah. So I think I that, can't. I think I that's can't it. Yeah. Another. And and that so and, it's rare. Yeah, I mean, that's it's super exceedingly rare. rare and yeah. no lyric and no lyric, you know. And so, you know, I, and then also it, it's it's also kind of that all about the Mellotron period for John, where he yeah. wants to put the Mellotron on everything. They want to just keep layering and noodling with it for another eight minutes on top of this song. It serves no purpose for the remaining eight minutes, but it's kind no, of a it cool does listen. Not. I heard it. It it's serves no purpose. Kind of a cool listen. <laughs> I mean, Once or twice, maybe. But fine. There's a reason it's not on the record like that. Having never been high in 1967, I have to imagine that's what like getting high with them probably felt like. Listening to that record yeah, with I like can see that. really good drugs, like right. the best acid or the best weed, and like just blissed out yeah. as hell. And it's, yeah, totally. it's that. It's that Looking at a lava lamp. So you know, I think the combination of all those things. And the, the fact that it's just so short and succinct and sweet, as soon as it's over, I kind of want to hear it again. Yeah, totally. There's and, something so gentle and comforting about it. Yep. It's like you're sitting in a hammock with them for two minutes. Yeah. Possibly, it's wrapped, very... possibly wrapped in a Paul shawl. 
<laughs> the Paul Shaw returns. A Paul Shaw? Yes, I, I'm gonna have a. I'm I'm going to uh, have a Paul Shaw made because I love Paul and I made this myself in him. We made this joke a few <laughs> shows ago about how Paul's melodies can be so comforting and and warming, like they just wrap yes. yourselves in it and you just you get wrapped up in a melody like that and call it. It's a Paul Shaw. It's a Paul Shaw. Yeah. If anybody out there can knit. He wants to Paul make a Paul shawl, shawl for Julia. Yeah, I need it. But are you going to like put his face on it? If somebody can like macrame you something with Paul's face in it, that's your Paul shawl. Dear listeners, <laughs> I have a request. Dear Santa, Julia's been very good this year. And this year has been a total shit sandwich. So the Paul shawl, really the least yes, you can do. Yeah. Yes. I'm just saying. I've earned Monica it. Monica Harry, whoever's taking the orders, it's still early enough <laughs> to be able to get it in. Yeah. And then, like, what what episode is this? Number? Uh, 17. <laughs> I've done 17 of these episodes so far, listening to people talk about the Beatles. I've earned this. You have. I've earned oh, yeah, you have. <laughs> you have. Yeah, you have. She's like, I've had to play drums on my chest. I deserve <laughs> A Paul yeah, Shaw. I'm, I'm. I'm sorry for establishing that precedent, now, <laughs> Julia. I realize it's, I'm not the one who has to pay the piper on this every. It's week. the Debbie Davis rule now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's usually the guest that does the drum roll, so I should be able to get out of it from here on out. <laughs> it was just a treat for you and me. <laughs> well, and I will take that at face value. Although I hope this isn't the last one of these that I do. No, <laughs> it will not be for sure. Yay! Ideally, we can do the next one in person. <gasps> Oh, so nice. please. One day. Sweet baby Jesus. <laughs> One day. So great. And then we and then we can play. Oh. Yes. And we can oh, play some music. So fun. Maybe we do this as a round table discussion with like Andre and Dave and then we all sing and play some music. I'm just saying I'm that fan. because my heart hurts so badly when I think about <laughs> all of us not doing this and wishing we could. Yeah. So Yeah. This is like there's so many fun ideas that we can do once we're not, you know, in danger of dying anymore. <laughs> right. But then, of course, as soon as that happens, we're all going to have shit to do. Right. Uh, I know. I know. Like, hopefully, like, there's a ton of gigs for everybody and like everyone's working and making money. And yeah, yeah, that that would be amazing. Yeah. We'll just keep that scheduling just these great. on like random Tuesdays or whatever yeah, when people totally. won't yeah. have gigs. I wouldn't have had anything to do on a Wednesday night anyway. So, you know, (laughs) here we are. Friday nights. Yeah. Yeah. What happens Friday nights? Gigs. Oh. Yeah. In a perfect world. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to (laughs) say. Back when we get back to the normal times. Back when we get to the normal times. You know what? I I, I don't know that I need normal. There was a bunch of stuff that was really kind of terrible about normal. So I'll take not normal. Whatever the new normal is, as long as it's relatively cool. You know? Yeah. As long as it has music and uh, people who tip the band appropriately. Yes. <clears throat> yes. Yep. So. As long as we're making Christmas lists. Right. Can I <laughs> Good tipping people. So, sir, so let's circle back here. So. <laughs> back to what we were doing. <laughs> so, so what do you think on this? I, I really like the song. I, I, I genuinely enjoy the hell out of the song. And I think, again, it draws in the idea that it wasn't just the Beach Boys and the Beatles answering each other back and forth, although that's the popular, you know, the popular, um, uh, oh, the popular trope is that it was the two of them just calling and responding and upping the ante. 
but I hear Velvet Underground in this track. I hear like the early John Cale stuff with mm-hmm. that's kind of it feels so gentle and free, but it's obviously meticulous. Like sonically, there's so much going on and there's space for all of it. Yeah. It's not all these sounds cramming and vying for your attention. Like the the keyboard stuff is present but not overbearing and the guitars it's a lot of single note stuff Mm -hmm. it all sounds very fluid and it doesn't sound like it's it doesn't sound like it's trying too hard and it's hard to do that yeah it's it's a lot of work to make it sound that effortless i think especially for a band who lyrics are like kind of their bread and butter to pull pull that off on an instrumental Mm -hmm. and not have it sound try hard is really impressive and not have it sound dopey, not have mm-hmm. it sound like they're making fun of the idea, not have it sound like somebody's too cool for school. And so they're over singing because they do sound kind of like a sea shanty chorus, mm-hmm. <laughs> but they're not like they're, they're It's not that wobbly bravado drunk guys singing together. It doesn't sound like they're in a beer hall. It sounds like right. they're. Maybe it sounds like they're at sea, or maybe it sounds like they're there's obviously not on earth. Yeah. But there's something there's something unearthly and yet very earthy about the singing. Mm-hmm. And somehow they pull it off. I can't think of anybody else who would be able to make that thing fly, so to speak. Right. Um yeah, it's it, it's for all the things that they did that were revolutionary, this was a very quiet, very revolutionary accomplishment for them, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. It, um, and it flies off the radar. Like it's, it's when people get up to, you know, refill their beer or whatever, but it's, I find it to be such a comforting, lovely part of the record. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's, it's a, a nice break. It, exactly. It's a really nice respite from all the other songs that have a lot of sonic information and mm-hmm. a lot of different things going on. Yeah. Like it's such a rich record. And the fact that they're all wearing like, furry pajamas on the front <laughs> makes you think that you're like in for some sort of I don't know it looks like it should be a bunch of children's nursery rhymes yeah. and maybe it is but it's there's so much there's so much depth and width and heft to the record that to have something this seemingly simple in the middle of it is it's really genius and yeah. the fact that they even bothered I think is a testimony to the notion that they knew how thick this record was going to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cause there's so much going on. I mean, it goes from the, from the perfect to the absurd, yeah. like there's everything in between. And this wreck, this song, it's this tiny little thing, but um, yeah, I don't know where I'd put it on a list if I were having to make one, but I, I really like this song. Yeah. It really seems like they were such experts at, um, just knowing what people wanted to hear or needed to hear, not so much wanted, but maybe needed to hear of yeah. like, you know, taking this little instrumental break or um, what was that thing that you guys were talking about at the end of the song, the six, all the Mellotron craziness. Oh, yeah. Like they were so good at just like sprinkling these subtle little things into songs that kept people listening and kept them happy and kept them interested and and they didn't even necessarily know why yeah how did they like, know like how what I are they magic it's, 
it's possible they were aliens. Yeah. yeah. Are they, like, like, they, maybe it one it of seems them? like otherworldly that these two people that were, you know, came from meager beginnings. Like they weren't educated in fine music schools and taught these things. They just right. knew it. They were just oh. like, yeah, let's let's try this. And it if just they worked. Had been, if they had been educated that way, they would have jumped into this end of the pool from the beginning and they would have been laughed out of mm-hmm. The industry. If they had mm-hmm. tried this in 1963, can you even imagine? It wouldn't yeah. have made sense. Debut single, no. flying. And they might have also, <laughs> they might have also had the creativity sort of killed in them. You know, like the fact yeah. that mm-hmm. no one told them these are the rules. You know, I mean, sort of. Right. You're usually supposed to know the rules before you break them, but maybe there's something for like not knowing any of the rules and just doing it your own fucking way anyway, and you get the Beatles. Well, <laughs> yeah. They were they were the first group before the Beatles came on the scene. There were songwriters and there were performers, or there were people who composed, and then there were groups that performed those mm-hmm. songs. They were studio musicians, or they were cherry picked by the label, or they were people who existed. But they didn't write their own material. It was unheard of. Mm -hmm. And the Beatles were the first ones to come in and say, this is a song that we wrote. Mm -hmm. Like that was real. They really were the first ones. Elvis didn't sing his own songs until Mm -hmm. after until much, much, much later in his career. I think you had at most Buddy Holly. um, Right. Maybe the Everly Brothers. Right. But and those are both two acts that were tremendous influences on the Beatles. And who, for want of a better terminology, were solo acts. Yeah. It wasn't like a consortium of people Mm -hmm. doing composing and performing and recording together. Like the Everly Brothers had a backing band. Who played drums for the Everly Brothers? I don't freaking know. (laughs) The drummer for the Everly Brothers cares. You know, Buddy Holly and the Crickets, which meant Buddy Holly and some guys whose names you're never going to know. But with the Beatles, they were the first in, as far as I'm aware, they were the first big one-stop, do-it-all-yourself in-house yeah. operation. And they mm-hmm. changed the way the music industry looks at royalties and the way they look at distribution and the way they look at what a song means in terms of what is owned in ter- rather than a performance and a composition. They, they always split that money in half. With the Beatles, it all went to the same guys. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that was what made it different. And in some ways, it marked the death knell for the professional composer who did not perform. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, with a few exceptions, like Burt Bacharach and um, Burt Bacharach. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Quincy Jones? Quincy, yeah. Like, I never really think of it. I think he's producer but i never think, I think of him he, like I think a he wrote. prolific composer I'm gonna, alan I'm gonna look well he, alan, he alan was a, a but alan was a was a performer too right at least i mean yeah he, yeah but he didn't he didn't have the biggest hits it with wasn't his yeah you know what i mean like and yeah. burt Bacharach too he did recordings of himself but who do you think of when you hear say a little prayer it's certainly not right. burt you think of aretha or dion mm-hmm um, and with Alan, his biggest songs were performed by, you know, like LaBelle Glenn and Campbell and Glenn Campbell. Yeah. God, 
<laughs> I'm sorry this podcast is only audio because I cannot articulate the words to match the face I am making right now. But you're not a not a GC fan. Not a fan of the old GC. Yeah, Friends, yeah. it's a face of pure disgust. <laughs> uh, what do I feel like? Like a, a like I'm in a Star Spangled Rodeo, maybe. <laughs> Happy to get back to you. I love it. Oh goodness. Yeah. So yeah. So flying. Where would you, would it be on your mixtape? On your ninety minute mixtape? Oh, this is that's such a great concept. Um and I'm glad I didn't make this <laughs> hypothetical ninety minute mixtape before this thing. Um I don't know. I'll have to let you know. Maybe it will be a break between, you know, two big songs that can't be put next to each other or you'll you know, your head will explode mm. <laughs> or your yeah. heart will break permanently or Oof. yeah. Yeah. Who knows? It's there, there's such, there, there are so many emotional journeys to go on with them lyrically that it's nice to have a little moment where you go, Oh, no words. Great. <laughs> cool. Thank you. <laughs> Man, that's, that's a damn fine response, Debbie. Yeah. I like that. Gosh, thanks. I like that. It's nice to not like, plant the flag in there and be like, nope, it's this. It's nice to just be like, it lands where it lands. It's it's a, yeah. a malleable experience, you know? Well, and it has a purpose that is only really decided by its relative position to other songs. And mm-hmm. some of these songs are more than, almost more than you can take in one sitting. Like, she's leaving home? Yeah. Oh. I mean, I, I need to go take a break from thinking after that song so there's so much happening right um do what what do you listen to after that oh sitar i guess okay when they did that outdoor Beatles show like in july um with the strings they did yes. you did she's leaving mm-hmm. home yeah and i was like i was sitting, obviously sitting in the audience not a musician yeah. um <laughs> so sitting socially distant sitting yeah sitting socially distant like <laughs> literally <laughs> in the street in a little folding camp chair by like myself sipping my little drink like pull up my mask take a sip of my drink pull my mask down <laughs> um and they good time to be alive they, i know right very dystopian um and they played that oh. song and it's a song that i've heard i don't know 400 times maybe right and it was just so beautiful i just like teared up just like sitting there in the middle of the street on a friday night in july uh just and it was it it was yeah it was it's such a good song it's so beautiful and just like so sad and sometimes you just can't help it the story is so clear and Mm -hmm. The vo- the voices the court the the alternating voices are so clear mm-hmm. and I mean that we probably shouldn't keep talking about this particular song <laughs> but when you do this song bring me back I have lots of thoughts okay yeah. okay <laughs> you got yeah. it gotta make yeah. a note of that yes all right um, do you want to do some rapid fire questions rapid fire I feel I like we need so. like a rapid fire theme song now rapid fire. It's a terrible. That's our theme song for no, rapid that's fire questions. Terrible. That's it. I love it. Wow. I love it. Debbie's like, please don't let her sing again. <laughs> Leave it to the professionals, please. Oh, I don't know that professionals could save that. If it makes you feel any better. I'm gonna sample that. I'm gonna put a beat behind it. Some shredding guitar on it. It's gonna be great. Nice. 
All right, so rapid fire questions off the top of your head. Hit me. All right. Favorite Beatles song? Yeah, that's hard. Um, <laughs> second side of Happy Road. The whole side. Okay, okay. It's one song, Daddy. Okay, 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 okay. Least favorite Beatles song? Ugh. <laughs> the song that makes you make that noise. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> Honey, don't. Okay, okay. Oh. Interesting. Any particular reason? Because Ringo is a horrible singer, and oh. that song is... It sounds like a first draft of a song that would later get thrown away. Oh, <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow, harsh words. That's okay. okay. Yeah, okay. No. That's okay. I think it's sophomoric and pandering at best. Okay, I dig it, dig it. Favorite Beatles album? Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Uh, your favorite memory associated with a Beatles song? Beatles song. Or it could be a Beatle or a Beatles album or anything Beatle related. Okay, it would be the time that I met Paul McCartney. Yeah, yes. that would be one. Yes. That would be the one. Let's hear it. Yep, please. Okay, uh, Matt, my husband Matt was playing at Snug Harbor one night with Brent Rose, okay. who had his trio or quartet there. And it was his, it was Brent's birthday, so we had birthday cake. And I was helping pass the cake out because, um, you know, that's what you do when you're married to somebody who's on stage for three hours and you've got <laughs> nothing to do. So I was cutting cake and putting it on plates and somebody said, he's upstairs. <gasps> like right before they went on stage and right before I went upstairs, we were going to do cake on the break and somebody said that Paul McCartney was upstairs. So Matt, who's playing bass on this gig, Oh shit. <laughs> goes into the bathroom and, you know, contemplates not coming out. <laughs> um, but he does and he plays and we cut up we cut up the cake and I think we did happy birthday in the middle of the set. Mm -hmm. And then anybody who wanted cake, I brought cake around to the tables. And I brought cake to Paul and Heather. <laughs> and I spoke to Paul and I said something that my brain has since completely scrambled. <laughs> I have no idea what I said. I think it was something about me being a singer and him being Paul McCartney. I think that's about <laughs> where I had my stroke and that yes. was about the end of that. Um, but he was nice. He didn't laugh at me or, you know, call security. Uh, at least not that I remember. Um, <laughs> He was very sweet and he had a piece of cake. And then on the break, we were sitting at the bar and they were trying to make their escape. Mm -hmm. But they got, have you ever been in Stug Harbor? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so when you get like toward the door, there's the door that goes into the hallway that goes out to the street. And right next to it, there is another door that goes to a stairwell that brings you to the apartment upstairs. Uh -huh. He didn't know which one was which. Oh, no. He thought the door to the outside was the one. To, so he opens up. He did this like adorable Paul McCartney thing. Like it looked like something out of a like a Beatle cartoon. It's the wrong door. We were all trying not to like stare and ogle and shit, but everybody's like Paul McCartney's back to hell. Like, you know, <laughs> he's having his waking nightmare again. <laughs> so he's like he and Heather are making their way to the door, and he opens what he thinks is the door and walks all the way into this like farewell closet space and turns around shuts the door and 
like turns to the crowd and goes, <laughs> like eyes wide, like jazz hands, like I did that. <laughs> yeah, he's like, Ta-da, I'm Paul McCartney. I'll walk into the closet. Bye. <laughs> wow. It was so cute. I, oh I think the gosh. audience. I, I think the people who were in the bar because we're all watching him. We're all like, What's Oh yeah, gonna do? it's the Paul quietest McCartney. bar of all time, just watching Paul McCartney. Oh my Paul gosh. McCartney in the world. He doesn't yeah. live in the world. He's on Venus. No, he's like in the room with me. So we're all just watching him. He turns, goes into the closet, turns around, does his little. And the whole room went. <laughs> <laughs> that is fantastic. It was, and then I proceeded to get cross-eyed drunk because you met Paul I, McCartney. Because I talked to Paul McCartney and probably said something so stupid I couldn't remember it. But <laughs> I'll be damned. You know, it was Paul. What was I going to do? Not talk to him? Right. Yep. It's like that, um, like that Chris Farley sketch. Did he eat the cake? Oh. <laughs> he did. Yeah. <laughs> That's and a I very was brief. thinking about that. Remember when you said yes. in the end, the love you make is equal to the love you take? Is it is true? That true? Is it true? <laughs> <laughs> we do that all the time. I feel yeah. like we just quoted that like three days ago. A few ago, days ago, honestly. yeah. Yeah, I forget. Remember what it was when about. you were in the Beatles? Yeah. That was awesome. That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I feel like we all just, if we ever see like famous people, we just turn into like mush brain yeah. idiots, just like goo. Yeah, I'm a singer, and you're uh, uh, uh. right. <laughs> Did you know that you were Paul McCartney? <laughs> well, oh my God, you're Paul McCartney! It's that <laughs> moment. You know? It's it's that moment in that thing you do where <gasps> where a guy goes to the jazz club and meets Del Paxton, and goes, yep. uh, I, he's drunk. And he, I have, all, I have all your records, and I think you're great. I, you are my biggest fan. Biggest fan. <laughs> <laughs> like that would be oh. me at, at any Beatle. Yeah. 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 I can watch that movie at least twice a year, every year until oh, yeah. I die. It's never, never not enjoyable. And <laughs> I always cry when their song comes on the radio. Yes. Always. Yes. Not myself. Yep. That Same moment. Is. It's that moment when you are living your life and then you hear your song on the radio, you are never the same again. Yep. Yeah. I still remember like the first time I heard one of my songs on the radio just like blew my fucking mind yeah just amazing. no because yeah. now you're part of the whole thing yep. this gigantic existential universal thing now you're part of it not yeah. just as a participant now you have moved through that membrane and you're on the inside yep you're never the same Listeners, find you and your music and your happenings. You can find me at debbydavismusic.com. My calendar page is not worth going to because there's <laughs> nothing there. But uh, you are doing live streams, correct? I am occasionally doing live streams. You can find me more uh, on Facebook for that. Mm -hmm. So if you follow me on Facebook, I will probably tell you where I'm playing and also indoctrinate you with a bunch of left-wing propaganda because <laughs> that's where I'm at right now. That's what we got to do. Yep. 
Yeah. Yep. Um, the I lines was, are drawn, and I know which side I'm on, and I'm totally fine with that. Amen, Same. girl. Yeah. <laughs> Word. Um, I'm going to drop those I'm links. sorry, Bob Woodward. <laughs> Woodward. Uh, we Woodward, are, you we heard? Are, we are taping this show on September 9th. <laughs> Things have been fucking weird today, y'all. Oh, my God. I can't even so imagine weird. what it's going to be like. I, I wish I had the, the schedule in front of me of what date this show is going to air. So this this episode will come out first week of October. So who knows where the hell things will be? We could all be dead by then. It's very I mean, I used to say that flippantly. Now it's kind of true. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally yeah. possible. Yeah. <laughs> what too soon? Yeah. Sorry, folks. These uh, are the jokes. I'm afraid. Right. <laughs> um, your so most recent album is. Uh, it's a duo record with Josh Paxton called "Interesting Times." And at the time, we thought we were being clever and. Uh, <laughs> You know, a little countercultural. Little did we know that you've written the album of the top. written the album of the year. <laughs> oh my God, sir! It's become horrifyingly relevant. I'm yeah. afraid. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, careful what you wish for. I guess that's right. that's the name of our next record. <laughs> We're wishing one hand spit in the other. It's just basically quoting my <laughs> grandma. Uh, I love I'm it. I'm very glad is not here for this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No. She saw the Industrial Revolution. She saw enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, Debbie, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a wonderful chat. Great to thank get to you talk to so you. Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm, I, miss, I miss this. I miss music nerding with other I music. I know. That's what. That's why we. Why we. That's why I'm doing it. I don't know why the hell you're here. <laughs> you're here because you like to spend time with me. So because yeah. she's a good sport. She sure is. You're a good scout, Julia. She sure as hell is. I'm a good sport. You are. <laughs> and also, <laughs> like, I'd have to wait for you to cook me dinner, so I might as well just like hang out with you until you valid. do it. <laughs> valid. Valid. <laughs> oh God, you're gonna go cook dinner now? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> womp womp. That's adorable. Look uh, at you with no kids. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah no. We did like an early bird special tonight because they were not going to wait until 830 to eat dinner. Yeah. <laughs> I'd have a coup on my hands and probably oh, one less dog in the house. So, no. <laughs> they would like unplug the router. <laughs> like, feed us. <laughs> no, no. Teenagers never unplug the no, router. No, no, no. Don't take the router away. <laughs> No cutting off noses to spite faces and all yeah, that. Yeah, I probably wouldn't be smart. Well, Debbie, thank you so much for joining us, my dear. We will talk to you very soon. Hurrah! Let's do this again. Yeah. Yes, we will most definitely have you back. It's good to see you. Fantastic. Likewise, you too, my sweeties. Love you so. Mwah, I love you. Bye. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Debbie Davis, everybody. Yeah. How about that? How about that? That's good, man. She's great. She's great. I love her. She's so funny. Yeah. So what do you guys think? The word at number 204, blasphemy, accurate. Flying at 203, true or false, science fact or science fiction. (laughs) You should let us know what you think. Uh, Drop us a line at rankingthebeatles at gmail.com or on Facebook or Instagram at rankingthebeatles. Yeah, you guys need to like hop on that Ranking the Beatles Facebook action because we are having some very fun discussions about about the episodes in there. Um, And like today I was razzing Jonathan about Nirvana versus... Foo Fighters, and it was a very fun chat. And he threatened to ban me from the group. Can you believe? <laughs> How rude! With uh, with great power 
comes great responsibility. Man. Man. I will unplug the router. <laughs> <laughs> the router of your life. <laughs> oh, I'm man. just kidding. I would yeah. never. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, so, yeah. Check us out on the Facebooks and the Instagrams. Also, you can go to rankingthebeatles.com. There's going to be some stuff there at some point when I finish building that website. Tell your friends about us. Leave us a five-star review on your platform of choice, if you would. If you have a four-star review, you can leave that, too. If it's three, I'd appreciate it if you don't. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing less than four stars for old Rankin the Beatles. Well. It will be tossed. It will be tossed (laughs) into the bin. Anyhow, uh, this has been a whole lot of fun, you guys. We hope you've enjoyed it, too. Uh, So we will see you next week, fingers crossed, with a whole nother episode. Until then, I am Jonathan. I'm Julia. And this is Ranking the Beatles. See you next time. Bye, y'all.